This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two small floating figures sitting on my shoulders, encouraging me to do lots of very interesting things. Nick White. Uh, I can be your angle, or I can be your devil. <laughs> and Tia Vasilio. Hi. Uh, I'm definitely not your angel, so maybe you have two devils. <laughs> I kind of expected that. That's exactly what I expected. We are here for episode 367 of I Read Comic Books. I'm so excited to talk about comic books today with both of you. But before we get into that, I have a small announcement. April 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're doing a hangout on Discord. Every other month, we're swipping, switching between Twitch and apparently YouTube on accident and uh, our Discord hangouts. So folks want to come hang and chat comics and tacos and movies and everything else, F1 for about an hour. You know, we're, we're going to be there doing that on Discord. So make sure you join us on April 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. If you're not on the Discord, check the link in the show notes. It's there. You can come hang out with us. We've got a wonderful little community on Discord that I'm so appreciative. I'm just saying hello to my Discord folks who are listening to us live. You guys. These are amazing. Um, so let's get into things, though. Two legally mandated questions that I must ask on every single episode, and that is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Sure. I mean, I guess this would be probably a perfect uh, moment for West Michigan Weather Watch, especially given um, recent circumstances. Oh, th- Nick, you just reminded yeah. me. That's yeah. the other announcement. I can't believe that I didn't, I didn't That's- say it. That's why I brought it up. Thank you. Thank you. We have brand new merch on our merch store, shop.ircbpodcast.com. There's a link in the show notes for that as well. West Michigan Weather Watch, beautiful t-shirts, beautiful tote bags, beautiful stickers. If you're interested in this really fun little joke that we have on the show, you can buy something that says West Michigan Weather Watch on it. Uh, T-shirts and stickers and postcards. Send something to your friends. You can mail things across the country. I don't know. Um, But yeah, you can buy that at shop.ircbpodcast.com. Brenda Snell did these amazing designs for us. We worked on it for a long time, and she came back with something better than I ever could have imagined. So go check that out. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I'll put like a direct link to our T-shirt on the on the store as well. But anyways, Nick, proceed. West Michigan Weather Watch. Yeah, w- within the last week, we've been under a special weather statement. We nearly avoided a flood watch. We've had hail. We've had snow. We've had thunderstorms, lightning storms, uh, temperatures in the teens, and temperatures in the nearly mid sixties. Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been real. Uh, welcome to, welcome to all of the wonderful things. Some of the wonderful things that come with uh, Lake Effect. So, mm. and I'm sure all of our meteorologist fans will be like, "Uh, oh, Nick, it's not that." Well, look, I, you know, all I, of our I meteorologist fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of our, our our very niche audience, and we'll make a new Discord room for you any day now. Um, <laughs> I guarantee it. Uh, and and. Uh, We'll we'll break it out by you know cumulo nimbus fans and 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 stratus fans and all of the other uh, Chrysler cars that had uh, clouds named after them. So that that's a thing. Otherwise, I will briefly mention I did watch the Australian Grand Prix uh, this morning. It was one of those great moments where I attempted to go to bed before people started spoiling the race on Twitter, mm-hmm. and then. I put my phone into airplane mode and everything so that I wouldn't open def- uh, Twitter on default this morning um, <laughs> and just, you know, walled myself off. I air gapped myself from the Internet. And I'm sure all the tech people will be mad about me improperly using air gapping. Um, sure. I'm mad about it. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, don't worry. I'll improperly use hacking later on in this. So I'm sure we'll we'll get people mad. And um <laughs> 
uh yeah it was it was a really wild morning i feel like i'm definitely on like on track for that moment that some people have like my mid 40s crisis bingo moment like i'm on track for that where i care far too much about something that i shouldn't really care about at all like the guy who like tapes all of his tiger games to watch later on and then just tells everyone throughout the day don't tell me about the baseball game like that's <laughs> i mean you're not even in your mid 40s nick and you are i know doing this. i know i know this. well that's what's concerning i mean i'm either ahead of the curve or i should just be concerned that i'm ahead of the curve on that but well, i'm, I'm maybe, getting there maybe this is your quarter life crisis which means you're yeah. gonna live to be 120 something that's pretty sick so oh, like oof. thank goodness that you're having it now rather God. than 10 years ago. no one wants to live that long yeah i don't know i feel like i i know nick pretty well i feel like no one wants to live to be 120 anything <laughs> queen did did posit the question of who wants to live forever so i think right. maybe we should that's true uh nick did you read any comics though i'm i am curious about that <laughs> look i want to talk about the f1 race now so i really don't care about comics i'm just kidding i w- i will say this uh if you if you care about f1 and you haven't seen the race go watch the race because ooh, just a heart heart in your throat moments uh and if you like crashes and i feel this is just a minor minor spoiler if you show up for the crashes one shame on you but two you'll probably be interested as for books i do want to talk about uh i hate this place Mm. Uh, i read one through six this is written by kyle starks art by artayon toplin sorry about that uh colors by lee lowridge letters by pat brisseau I read the first issue or two back when they came out, and when I saw that Seven was just about to come out uh, on April 5th, I was like, let's just reread this from the beginning. That really wasn't the main reason that kind of gave me the push. It was the fact that I I really enjoyed Stark's uh, book, Where Monsters Lie. Mm. And I didn't even pick that up for Stark's. I picked that up because uh, Peter Kowalski was on art. And he drew the Bloodborne comic for Titan, and I absolutely loved that. Oh, hold on, Nick. Are you saying we're gonna, you and I are gonna do a Joe Kelly, Peter Kowalski sex read for the show? Is that what I'm hearing? We're gonna read all of Sex. Ooh, I, I, God, <laughs> how many, I, how many naked human beings do you want to yeah, look at on a book, man? I, yeah, there would, God, there would have to be so many warnings before we discuss that book. Um, <laughs> God. Anyways, anyways, you yeah. read I hate this place. Let's <laughs> yeah, and and again, like if it sounds like Kyle Starks was kind of the afterthought for me, like look, I've I've read Sex Castle, I've read Rock on Rock Candy Mountain, I've read a little of the Rick and Morty comics. Like Kyle Starks is a funny guy. He's very clearly a funny guy, but mm-hmm. I've never really found myself caring that much about the characters in his works right he writes a funny book but i'm never really like oh no i'm worried about this character i'm concerned about their safety like everyone is having a good good time no one really ever feels like they're in danger so but like i said i loved where monsters lie so i was like i'll give this a try okay and i actually really really enjoyed this book i think much like Where Monsters Lie, Kyle Starks has hit some sort of narrative creative level up. And I, again, like this is like me projecting onto, I don't know, Kyle Starks' narrative growth as a writer. But I feel like he's reached a point where he doesn't have that pressure or that 
self-imposed pressure on himself mm-hmm. that he has to be this he has to be the funny man right or that his humor needs to come from more overt one-liners or or jokey crude statements and instead he's sort of moved to a point where the humor in his work is more about settings it's more about situations sure. than it is about the actual dialogue and i think in this in in this book uh, I hate this place or fuck this place or fuck this place with all of the characters in as asterisks except for the F or mm-hmm. fuck this place where it's got a strike through line. I don't even know what this book's real title is at this point, honestly, because um, I've seen it four different ways. But I, I do feel like he's reached a point where it's more situational humor. It's it's a dark, darkly comical situation but there's drama and there's stakes and you, and you care about this, um, this couple, Gabby and Trudy who inherit this farmhouse from, uh, from Gabby's aunt. And they find out that the home has possibly a zombie problem or maybe a ghost problem or maybe a UFO problem. You actually care about them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's still funny, but it's also pretty dark with with the violence it's it's pretty impressive the way that starks is able to blend horror and comedy in this book because i feel like it's like watching i i I know that it's a joss whedon movie it's like cabin in the woods where there are horror elements that will get you but also there's some really really funny elements that play within the genre that they are that like starks is touching in the book um i really appreciated that for this book compared to his other book that he's doing with peter kowalski uh we uh the the we only where kill monsters each other. lie no, where, where, yeah, where monsters lie where, which to me is is a much drier comedy that has more horror in it than than anything else um but yeah i don't know i i really like this book series so or this series as well so you know i'm a little biased here yeah uh, again like i i just really appreciate that for whatever reason i feel like Starks doesn't feel like he has to have that label of being just the funny man or sure. whatever. Yeah. Um, especially because it's just it's so hard to do comedy effectively in comics. And I feel like <laughs> he's doing it so much better now than yeah. he was. I mean, there are books that also happen to be funny, and before they were funny books. Yes. Um, so uh Great job, Kyle Starks. And if if you weren't intending to do any of this at all, and this is just something that happened, uh, and you don't appreciate this armchair psychologizing, uh, just uh, reach out, uh, reach out to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, please email Mike, not me, please. Mike. No, I'm giving so. him your direct phone number. No, Nick. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's T- fine. Yeah, yeah. Tia, well, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? What have you been up to? I have been. I suppose you could just end that sentence there. Yeah. (laughs) Holiday has been not great. She's been having some health issues. Um, I, I think she's fine. We had all our blood work looks good, but Mm. it's been a rough, it's been a rough month. If, if there's any holiday fans out there, she could definitely use the, some like love sent her direction. And uh, so that's been really stressful for me Mm. because as you all know she is like my baby and my best friend and the reason that I get up in the morning so other than that we've just been hanging out laying in bed snuggling reading comic books she's figured out how to um climb into my sweatshirt that I am wearing 
And so (laughs) I feel like that's so adorable. It's sort of she doesn't understand how to like back out the way she came. So when she's decided that she's done, she sort of like claws her way out of the neckline of the sweatshirt again as I'm wearing it. And I sort of feel like I'm in an alien experience. Uh, well, the holiday's all... getting a lot of love in the chat right now, by the okay, way. So good. You know, you've got yeah. you've got people sending good vibes. She doesn't just. I'm also. I'm very tired, also, because she doesn't just do this while I'm like reading a book or watching TV. She literally will come up to me in the middle of the night while I am sleeping, and I feel something like going up my shirt. It's very, very horror vibes. Very horror <laughs> vibes. <laughs> uh, it sounds like the Grudge, and I hate the idea of that. Yeah. <laughs> But we we were laying in bed this weekend reading some comics, which was nice. Uh, I finally was able to get caught up on a book I've been meaning to read for a while, All Against All, uh, by Alex Pacnadel and Casper Wingard. I first of all, they're like the best good boys, and any book that they're doing together, I know is going to be fabulous because they're both so smart and so talented and mm-hmm. so good. So. I read um, the first two issues. I'm in a place with comics and also TV now that I think about it. We're like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do your like 20 minute once a week bullshit. Like give me everything or I'll wait. <laughs> gotcha. Ted gotcha. Lasso season three. Haven't touched it. Like I'm not doing your weekly bullshit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like, um, I, I had to bank at least two issues so that I could really fully like have the experience that I want here. And I feel like I, I mean, I've, I've been waiting to read this book for a while. So like, I didn't want to wait any longer, but I, I wish that I had more of it to, to kind of binge on because I feel like the, the the thematically it hasn't quite like revealed itself yet. And, you know, that's my favorite part of reading. So, oh, sure. The kind of high level story is there's a parasitic species called the operators and they genetically engineer bodies um, from like specimens they gather from planets they explore, including Earth, which apparently is like long since self-destructed. And the operators are at war. We don't know with who exactly, but they have this need for like more violent bodies to fight. And so there's this director of like a research lab and he studies, creates, I don't know exactly, like basically the bodies and maintains collections of species that they, for whatever reason, can't use as bodies. And so Mm -hmm. there's this military general and he kind of is like worried about the war and is looking for options. So he's particularly interested in these specimens that the research director has in his quote unquote carnivore biome. And in this biome appears to be the last living human who grew up in there. And they talk about the creatures in this book as being basically just like they can't feel pain. They're like not sentient. They don't have like no thoughts, just murder. But there are signs that this last living human is much more sentient and self-aware than most of the operators believe. In issue two, we learn that this human whose name is Helpless um, is like a kind of a Tarzan situation. Like the operators released human babies into the biome to see like what would happen if they would develop faster. Mm -hmm. And so Helpless like bonded with a primate in there and like you know, 
draws pictures, has weapons, like survives basically. And then we find out that the research director has been kind of like keeping an eye on him and helping him out and also keeping him a secret from the military. And I think that like in the next, I think where the story is going to go is likely what's good, you know, what is going to happen when the military finds out about helpless and like wants to use helpless in some way in this war and the research director like is what he's going to do about that. So yeah, we're still kind of in the setup for this story and not enough has been revealed yet to really get my like thematic analysis going. So what I'm looking for, because I I think I will keep reading, even though I'm going to trigger warning, like animal death and violence is pretty pretty rough in this mm-hmm. book. I, yeah. I at a few times were like, can I keep reading this? But yeah. So what I think is going to play out thematically in this book, first of all, like what is the nature of our relationship to our bodies? Are we like, are we Descartes? Are we just brains on sticks consciousness that we exist separately from all of our sensory and physical experiences? Right. Today is world autism awareness day. Mm. And I'm just plugging that because as someone with uh, pretty debilitating sensory issues, I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not sure I believe we do exist separately from our sensory and physical experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested. And I know Alex Pachnadel has studied philosophy, has a PhD in philosophy. Alex Pachnadel is a very smart writer, um, is what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. So I would be surprised if this wasn't somehow in the back of his mind somewhere, putting this book together. I also think that there's a really interesting question of like, is there a difference between violence for survival and violence for supremacy? And we don't know enough yet about this war that the operators are fighting to really judge them necessarily, but they're certainly mistreating you know, their specimens. And then we have helpless who clearly has been like, you know, treated horribly by the operators is revenge a good enough reason Mm -hmm. for violence. Like when is violence justified? What kind of violence is justified? I think that will be something that is important in this book. Yeah. And then also like, is it right to kind of line up species of living things on a spectrum from like, civilization or evolution down to like the opposite of that and like what do we owe less quote-unquote advanced species if we're if we are doing that and we consider ourselves a more civilized species like do we owe some kind of stewardship to quote-unquote lower life for like how do we value life how do we quantify that and what what do we owe each other like i think that's a really interesting question here mm-hmm. yeah the, the thing that that astounds me is that this is like a three issue miniseries or excuse me five issue miniseries not three uh-huh. issues um it's a five issue miniseries and i i feel like as you say all of these i because i've read this book nick i think you've read this book as well yeah i'm current like yeah they all of these things i think are touched on indirectly in the story. So I'm really curious to see how much is like Pacnadel and Wingard are going to reveal um, in order to not just only satisfy like the narrative questions that I think you've brought up, but also these these philosophical questions that I think are baked into this story of like a quote unquote higher species of, of alien um, who has taken over Earth's uh, animals and so on and so forth, as well as humans and other planets worth of stuff like there's there is this like 
valuation that they seem to put on life and and the importance of the things that they capture versus maybe what we from a human perspective put on put the value on for life so yeah Tia, you raise a lot of questions that i really hope this book answers now because now, <laughs> now i'm even more hooked in <laughs> yeah um i also just have to quickly like sing casper's praises because um like i've been saying a lot lately that i'm really bored of comic book art but when i say that i'm not talking about casper because yeah. he is just a spectacular dynamic artist i feel like especially in this book i see how he like knows when to use kind of a more impressionistic style versus when to have more crisp clean lines but even then his line work is always like very active and i think he really also re deserves recognition as a colorist there's such a clear color story in his work and you can follow mm -hmm. the color it, it's part of the storytelling which is really helpful when you're dealing with like characters that don't have like faces you know <laughs> yeah. uh, like it helps you to like just kind of keep track of everybody and the way he utilizes like neon pinks or pastels like they're really clear color choices and they give you tone and setting and like emotional beats which is just you know I just I love how thoughtful all of that is and also I've talked before um I think when I was talking about golden rage a few uh the, like I don't remember last month sometime but like if you look at background choices, Casper's really good at that too. Um, and depicting action and kind of honing in on like what the audience needs to see in an action shot. I think mm -hmm. Casper's a great, like sometimes you talk about um, how artists are good character actors. I think Casper's also a really great cameraman. Like he knows his angles. He knows how to give panel breakdowns mm -hmm. so that a story beat, like sometimes it needs space. Sometimes it needs to move quickly. Like you really get that in the art. So when's Casper going to get some awards here? I mean, hopefully with this book, right? I mean, yeah. maybe Homesick Pilots was the wrong book to try to get no, nominations for. No, that book was for, so but... great though too. Ooh. Well, I, uh, that's another episode uh, we can talk <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've, I've been enjoying this book. Um, I, I felt a little lost again, be I think because it, Casper's work in this book is beautiful, but it's a bit more chaotic than I think I was expecting from from them, given the work that they did with Homesick Pilots, which is very much straightforward, I think, at least in the first arc. So I think, I don't know, I, I'm very much enjoying the book on the whole. But uh, yeah, some of the some of the choices, I think, to to highlight what's happening, and the, the pacing of the book have been really interesting in this story. And I really enjoyed it. Well, um, so yeah, cool. let's let's all like lobby for getting Casper some nominations for this book, because I think well, I think they deserve it. I think so, too. How about you, Mike? What have you been reading? Oh well, um, it's been a it's been an interesting week. I like got hit in the head with like allergies and maybe a head cold all at the same time. So for like a day and a half, I was just like in a funk. Like every tree in New Jersey was blooming, and also I may have had like a weird sinus infection at the same time, which happens every time the 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 seasons go from hot to cold in like quick succession. My body goes, hey, all the mucus in the back of your throat is just gonna drip forever, and it's like. Okay, thanks. So, you know, TMI, but that's what's going on. Um, so I read, <laughs> so I was in like a weird funk for like two days where I was just like, I don't know if I'm sick. And so I didn't really read much. <laughs> I don't know if you guys get like that, but I just go into this thing yeah. and I just watched television and then I watched the, the, uh, I, I was watching old uh, Humphrey Bogart movies because I don't know that something about that guy's wet mouth just really settles my brain. 
And yeah, but Did I did you read say some comics. Wet mouth. Yeah, yeah, you heard me correctly. Please look never up any say photo, that again. <laughs> just look up any photo of Humphrey Bogart, and you will oh know God. exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, whether it's okay. Casablanca or the the treasure of the Sierra, Mia, Mia, Sierra Madre, um, it's there. But between mucus and wet mouth, Mike, you are on thin ice. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm sorry. Mike, I feel like, is listing off all of the potential side effects from, like, a commercial on TV. Um, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart movies may, may, may induce inadvertent wet mouth. Yeah. Um, no, so I did I did read a book. Um, it was part of the, a book club that I'm, I'm in that ex- everybody accidentally forgot was happening on Friday this past week, because I feel really bad. Um, but I did read a book called The Last Day in Vietnam. This is a Will Eisner book. You've probably seen this and heard of this book. Um, it's uh, from Dark Horse. Uh, Last Day in Vietnam is Will Eisner's memoir of stories about soldiers who are engaged not only in the daily hostilities of war, but also in larger, more personal combat. During Eisner's years in the military, and particularly during the many field trips he made for the PS magazine that he wrote for, he observed camp life at close range. This is a really cool book overall. Like um, It was touted to me as like some of the best work that Eisner has ever created, which may have been an oversell. And while I admit like the book is pretty impressive from an 83-year-old person like created this book from start to finish, which I'm like, holy smokes, the dude was still making books into his 80s. That's crazy. It definitely was not like this seminal work that like changed my life forever. That being said, it's a beautiful book from start to finish, right? Like Will Eisner's style is extremely unique um, in a way that like it feels like classic comics without being like overwhelming in terms of like narration and dialogue and stuff like Eisner clearly understands the beats of comic books, right? (laughs) Obviously, you know, being 83 years old, working in the industry for a large majority of his life um, knows how to make a damn good comic book. So this book reads like a breeze, right? You read through it, you understand every single emotion, you understand the beats, the way that he uses extremely simple page and panel layout to still convey what could be an extremely action-packed, overwhelming war scene um, is crazy to me. There's particularly the major story that is in this book. There's two like massive stories in, in this 80-page book. So when I say massive, it's like 30 pages. But um, one of the stories is Eisner telling a story from his perspective as he's traveling around with a guy who's on his last day in service. Um, and they have to jump on, high, you know, on helicopters and fly around. Um, and it's a really just beautiful thing in seeing everything from just this point of view perspective, right? It's like watching the movie Doom. <laughs> Which is a bad example. Doom or Doom? Doom Which one? with the rock. Um, okay. No, but <laughs> and Carl Urban. Everything is, everything is um, you know, very like direct and head on. So you're only ever seeing the perspective from this person who is writing the story. And the way that Eisner tilts, ang- tilts frames in order to show like how movement is happening is like really, really smart. And then, of course, the, 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 the major story that uh, Matt Fraction, who wrote the intro for this book, talks about is... Um, a guy who is extremely drunk and every day wants to volunteer himself to go out into active service. And every day that he does that um, on Sundays, um, somebody finds his submission to go out in active duty and then treads it so that he doesn't go out and get killed Um, because everyone knows that he shouldn't be out there. And they're all just kind of watching out for him, even though it's his choice. And it's a, it's a really interesting story overall. I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's a solid book, but it was by no means like a book that like floored me and went, wow, war is hell, isn't it? Um, I, I, and I think that's because I've been inundated as just a person who lives in America and have seen so many stories about like the tragedies of war and how it affects human beings and stuff that this didn't feel like groundbreaking by any means, but it's a, it's a pretty solid book. And, uh, 
if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's again not this book that's going to change your life, but it's it's still good. Nick, what else have you been reading? So I also read Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, the Illyrian Enigma. So clearly, this is a real approachable book for everybody. Everyone can just pick this up and say, "Oh, I know what's going on here." That's that's a joke. Uh, this book is a bridge between the first two seasons of Strange New Worlds. Um, which is the most recent, yeah, most recent addition to the Star Trek sort of reboot of shows since uh, Discovery showed up in 2017. Uh, this, or as other people call it, it's the show with uh, Anson Mount's uh, beautiful, gorgeous hair, which would not be an inaccurate statement. Uh, if you like <laughs> Star Trek, try this show. If you don't know anything about Star Trek, I would say still try the show actually um it's pretty great this book is written by Kristen. i'm sorry this book is written by kirsten brayer and mike johnson art by megan levens colors by charlie kirchhoff letters by neil uitaki and i don't want to talk too much about the plot of this book or really the plot of the show because <laughs> Both basically discussion of either will possibly ruin the show or the cliffhanger ending of season one. So for those people who are like, gosh, there's really no discussion of what's going on here. That is 100% deliberate. Uh, I don't want to touch either of these things because the show is not even a year old at this point. So I think it's totally reasonable that this is not like a 30 year old movie and we can say, well, everybody knows about return of the Jedi or whatever. Um, sure. So I'm just not going to touch that, but I am going to say that IDW has always shown a real significant amount of care for franchise books. And this has really been true for star Trek books as of late. I don't blame them. I think they're trying to strike while the iron is hot. It's why we got like a brand new star Trek number one by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art mm -hmm. by Ramon Rosanas uh, last year. Um, we also got a book tie-in for Picard. We got a book tie-in for Lower Decks. Um, we just saw a spin-off of that new Star Trek book called Defiant. Um, by And Christopher Cantwell's writing that. So they're getting some pretty big names. Pretty big-ish names, I think. Big by IDW standards, right. at least. I mean, these are folks these that are, are pretty good at writing, like, licensed books in the first place, right? Like, Cantwell is not new to writing licensed comics, as far as I'm concerned, right? Right. Yeah, totally. And so I would I would just really, really recommend this book. We now know that Strange New World Season 2, we actually just got a release date for that. It's coming out on June 15th. I think so often we hear about these books where it's like, oh, it happens after this season, or, you know, it's a bridge between Season A and Season B, and you're like, oh, this could be interesting. Maybe this will mean something. And then you read the book, and then the next season of the show comes out, and the book feels insignificant and it doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't do anything or it's totally self-contained and um, it just feels like it's not of substance. And of course, this has been one of my big gripes with the Star Wars books is that they're so walled off and self-contained and, you know, they don't impact the movies or the shows or mm -hmm. anything. Um, and maybe the closest thing was Dr. Afra, and that's the closest we ever got to anything along those lines, right? But I do genuinely feel that in this case, there is a really significant reveal that I think will actually play into the show. And it really helps that the two co-writers of this book, Kirsten, 
is actually a um, producer writer for all of the live action Star Trek shows. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the other co-writer is actually an official creative consultant for CBS Viacom, Viacom CBS, sorry. And so it actually does feel like it's of substance. Uh, Maybe I'll be proven wrong on June 15th. Wouldn't be the first time. But uh, (laughs) I came away pretty impressed with um, how they chose to resolve things. So, yeah, uh, I was just really happy with that. And I thought um, Levin's art just uh, really managed to actually hit that sweet spot um, of having to draw a large amount of characters based on real people which mm-hmm. is its own personal hell. Just ask... Um, Salvador uh, LaRocca. I know. Let's, <laughs> I know. I knew exactly where the fucking joke was going, Nick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just ask uh, LaRocca. It's its its own unique personal hell, and I think Lehman's manages to nail that sweet spot of not going full realism, managing to at least be stylized in such a way where you can look at characters and, and spot likenesses of, of their real-life counterparts. I think gotcha. that's so tough to do but uh, what what about you mike i mean clearly you haven't been reading this book which i mean i wouldn't right yeah no star trek strange new worlds the illyrian enigma enigma that's not no no, (laughs) nick um you you the way you pitch this is i feel like the way that i pitch x-men books which is no 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 don't worry there is 50 years of continuity you have to pay attention to but i think you could just jump right in it's fine uh no i (laughs) Just dive right in. Yeah. I read, uh, I guess the last book I'll talk about before we uh, take a quick break here is I read Faster. This is by Jesse Lonergan, um, published by Bulagon Press. The synopsis for this is it's a 40 page or 40 page little like mini comic. Uh, It's printed on a risograph press. So it's got like this really DIY feel to it. Um, But the synopsis is who truly knows what a premier racer is thinking when behind the wheel, we can only imagine the lives that play out on the speedway. Like this feels right up your alley, Nick. I think you'd super love this. It's probably one of the coolest books I've seen in a long time since Jesse Lonergan's previous incredible book, Hedra, that came out a while ago. That super oversized, like magazine sized comic that came out from Image. Um, If you haven't read Hedra, I highly recommend trying to track it down. I don't think that like... They sold it in any kind of like quote unquote collected or like multi mass production version. So like you'll have to either hunt down a digital copy, which you can get, or you could maybe find something on eBay. It's probably cost way too much. But Lonergan does a fantastic job in this book, really getting to the core of what makes any kind of like racing story interesting, right? There are people in these cars who are doing something at high stakes, and he uses the comics medium in a way that is both familiar and in my mind, super innovative. He's doing that thing where he's playing with panel layout using high level, like ideas to draw your eye in different directions that wouldn't normally like a comic wouldn't normally flow, but then also using that to in its advantage to say like, you could read these two pages side by side in any order and it will make sense. It's super clever it's nonstop, just like interesting things, bringing in this idea of a racetrack as part of the way to guide a story. Um, again, this is just more of Lonergan playing with the medium, using all the familiar things that we know about 
paneling and sequential comics and kind of twisting them on their head without breaking your brain, without doing something that's like so far experimental, you're not really sure if you're understanding it correctly. You will get this book and you will get full narratives for eight different characters involved in 48 pages. It's it's a jam-packed comic full of just nonstop, page after page, impressive storytelling I can't believe this was just like published on a whim on some other small press website because like this is again one of those books that I would love to see published in like a full prestige format that I could get my hands on and look at the full pages. Um, And again, there's nothing wrong with the Risograph print. Like it's a really cool, it feels really nice when you're reading it. It feels like you're reading something hip and like you could go to a coffee shop and drink a little espresso with like little miniature glasses on and you've got a beret and like a striped shirt on and you're 100% French. You're like, wee wee. And you turn the page and you're like, ha ha, they're racing fast cars down a European street. Like that's what it feels like chunk of your out of your baguette yeah (laughs) yeah i mean smoke your big cigarette the style that lonergan goes with is like 50s 60s 70s era f1 right like these weird like pipe formed cars that have these big bulgy wheels on the outside uh it's really cool and i i spent the the entire time reading this book thinking god that is so clever the way he did that is so clever and then i turned the page and i go god that's so clever and then they were like sir yeah, people are trying to work in this coffee right. shop. But, but please was, extinguish your cigarette, right. take off your beret, and leave. Yeah, they, they don't. Imp- they don't uh, really like when you do like a French get up inside of a standard <laughs> New Jersey coffee shop. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really good book. Uh, if you can get your hands on it, it's a little expensive, but I promise it's super worth it. Um, so yeah, again, anything that Jesse Lonergan puts his name on, I'm checking out at this point. Um, yeah. Whether I love it or not, usually he's doing something that's impressive. Um, but yeah, let's let's take a quick break. Um, we come back. We're going to talk about books that are on the top of our pile. Uh, I have like a weird thought about the future of Marvel Comics. You know, Tia, you brought this up when we were talking about this episode. I got a question based off of something Nick said a moment ago. So we're going to talk about that all when we get back. Let's talk about books that are on the top of our pile, comics that are new, old, comics that we just want to read, or maybe it's something you bought on a whim at MochaFest this weekend like I did. So we've all got some books here that we're going to be reading soon. So let's start with you, Tia. What's on the top of your pile? I picked this just for you, by the way. So I expect you to give me some thoughts. I'm I'm golf clapping over here. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. It has come to my attention that Marvel is attempting another five-issue miniseries of Rogue and Gambit, and the mm-hmm. second issue comes out uh, on, I think, the 5th of April. I'm I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, given... <laughs> <laughs> Am um, I out of touch enough to not believe? Didn't we just have a Rogue and Gambit miniseries? In 2018, yeah. well, apparently. Yeah. Does it? And, like, and times... that's one of my questions. Is it... So... Uh... How much time do we have here? Um, let me look at the clock. It's your show, Mike. You Not tell as us. much as you think. <laughs> here, here's here's the gist that you need to know. Kelly uh, Kelly Thompson does one of the best Rogan Gambit series that's been published ever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, reestablishing, rekindling, and fixing some of the problems that Rogan Gambit had in their relationship. Um, basically gets them married and gets them to be be a couple. They're living together. Gambit's got a shitload of cats because of course he does. And they're kind of living like a nice married couple's life. They are like, in my mind, they are the married couple. None of this thruple business with Jean Grey and Scott and and Wolverine. That's too much drama. But Rogue and Gambit are fixed, and at least in in their togetherness. 
Um, some business happens in Jeannie Howard's book with Gambit that I won't go into. Um, it ultimately from Stephanie Phillips and Carlos Gomez's story that's coming out right now doesn't seem to have mattered, or maybe I missed something because I kind of got mad at some of the choices that were happening along a couple of different books. All I'll say is from what I read from issue one, all you need to know is that they were together, everything was happy, and this is a story about maybe when things go rough for a couple that's been strong and together for a little while. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I needed a little like, what do, what do you need to know about this, like where we are, where we're starting here? Because yeah, I mean, the Krakoa stuff, you'll get through context. Honestly, it yeah. like doesn't factor into the story. But I guess like, I, my question for you is like, what are you hoping for out of a Rogue and Gambit series? Because Tia, I'll be I'll be real in the, all the time that I've known you. I feel like this is the first time I've heard of any interest from you with the X-Men. <laughs> well, no. Okay. Because I feel like Marvel doesn't know what to do with them. Yes. And you know, this goes back to my 90s X-Men cartoon pining for them to be like a happy couple. Mm-hmm. So that's really all I want out of a series is for them to be to like live happily ever after. Maybe this will happen in that new upcoming X-Men 97 animated yeah. show. <laughs> uh, Disney Plus, send us the money. I did the ad. <laughs> Uh, well, I will say, Tia, if you want some of that pining, I think you should go back and reread or read that Kelly Thompson book okay. that came out. Mm-hmm. And then the follow up series that she did, Mr. And Mrs. X, or maybe I can't remember what order those books came out in. Either way, all of those books, really good, like, we're kind of into each other, but we can't we, we had problems. And it's like, can we work through our marital strife while also being superheroes, but like being really hot for each other at the same time? Yeah. It's pretty good stuff. It's pretty good. One of my favorite fiction, ro- like romance genres, is the kind of like flirtatious, philandering, charming guy who is like kind of kind of a man whore a little bit, right? Like kind of sure. can't keep it in his pants, flirts with everyone, has a long-standing, like deep love for a woman who he simultaneously like hurts all the time with his behavior but, and like also can't have her for some reason that is completely outside of his control. And so she just mm-hmm. kind of goes back and forth between like the fiction that when he flirts with her, it's something that she can have or like indulge it a little bit. But then there always gets to a point where like he ruins it for everybody or she like just goes nuclear and and because that's the inevitability of their tragic doomed love and i love that for a little while but eventually i need them to like get together and live happily ever after yeah yeah i mean mike that's basically every week on milf manor right that's something <laughs> listen we talked about that in confidence during the break okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think to you, that's you're going to get that with this book. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to hear what you think too. Um, that'll be and if like I said, if you get a chance, that that Kelly Thompson stuff is pretty good too. Um, it's even more of that. I think Thompson Thompson gets those characters better than anybody has gotten these characters in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. especially Chris Claremont in his really bad Gambit book. <laughs> so, um, and I'm just going to keep being mad about that book for forever. <laughs> Um, you, you know what else I, I need is a good grand gesture from Gambit to like, you know, a, a nice romantic, like oh. a Mr. Darcy kind of declaration. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, my God. Can we please get someone to write 
that the X-Men get portaled back in time to like, you know, Regency era Jane Austen and and have like a Jane <laughs> Austen story take like play out, but with the X-Men. Uh-huh. I mean, Marvel, what, 16, was it 12? Clearly went well. So, I mean, yeah, 16 I'm sure there's, where, that's it, yeah. <laughs> the, clearly there's an appetite for that, so I mean, oh why not? Oh my God, that would be yeah, so good. Get Stephanie I, Hans back on the phone. Yeah, let's get Stephanie Hans on the phone. Let's get Neil Gaiman as far away from this as possible. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Nobody I, tell him. Yeah, nobody tell him. Um, no, I, oh man, Tia, what you just described, you really need to read that Rogan Gambit book that kelly thompson did because that's essentially the story okay i think you'd really dig that but yeah really excited that you're reading this too um rogan gambit number two is going to be my pick but i saw that you had it so nick what's on top of your pile so my book is hairball number one this is by matt kent written by matt kent art by tyler jenkins and colors by hillary jenkins uh the solicit is a uh, quote a brand new supernatural nightmare that's Junji Ito meets Hayao Miyazaki from the Eisner nominated creators of Fear Case and Apache Delivery Service and I hate every solicit that begins with it's this meets this but we'll continue reading amidst my disgust <laughs> a young girl with a black cat begins to suspect the innocuous beast is behind all her troubles her parents fighting family plagues and innumerable supernatural horrors As she tries her best to rid herself of this creature, she discovers that maybe the cat is not evil after all, and a greater terror may be behind these horrific events harming her life. Personally, I think it's interesting that after this creative team previously sort of worked on a pair of modern crime dramas for Boom, which was Black Badge and Grass Kings, Mm -hmm. uh, their two latest collaborations for Dark Horse, that would be Fear Case and Apache Delivery Service, were like very horror based. And this seems to be sort of in the same uh, category, obviously based on the solicit. I'm just really happy that this is the first, uh, I guess, ongoing or, or mini series from flux house, which is Kint's imprint at uh, dark horse. That isn't just him rehashing or revisiting something he did for dark horse, like 20 years ago, 20, it feels like 20 years ago. Yeah. It's probably more like 20, 12 um but when the first two things that rolled out of flux house were like a revisiting of super spy mm-hmm. and a revisiting of mind management i was like oh boy we're just doing all the hits apparently and and both books were good but i was like maybe let's roll out something original here so um i'm just happy to see this and i i think one thing that i think is kind of cool and we'll uh, include it in the show notes is that um Dark Horse has been doing trailers for a lot of their comics recently, and it's pretty minimalist. You know, it's a little music, some very basic animation, um, and just a solid showcase of the book's art. And I think that that's that's perfectly fine um, if that's engaging for people. And and based on, I think, the view count I saw in the video, clearly it seems to be engaging with an audience. Uh, Yeah, I was just sort of happy to see that. And uh, it looks good. Um, I think every every person who's ever owned a cat has sort of wondered at one moment, like, is this thing inherently evil or is there a higher demonic entity playing into things? It's it's the evergreen question of cat owners. Uh-huh. Excuse you. Holiday is perfect angel. And I have never wondered such a thing about her. <laughs> yeah. See, Nick, I spend okay. more time wondering if my cats are just little robots than if yeah. they're like possessed by a demon or something. So 
Right. You know, we all have our own little things about animals. I, I still am just stuck on this Junji Ito meets Hayao uh, Miyazaki thing. Like, I just, I hate it's it. the most absurd thing it. I've ever heard in my entire life because I would not want those two blended am together. Am I the only one who's sold on that alone? I am sold. Well, I, well, that's... but Okay, but I understand it because, like, both of those creators are incredible artists, but I yes. don't know if I would be able to stomach a, a story that felt like both of their stories at once. It'd be way too lofty and also way too scary at the same time. And I, my brain just can't hold on to those things. Like, to, to pitch a book like Hairball Number 1, I'm going to say it again, as this is kind of like... It's just like, what are the two, like, anime names and manga names that we that people know, you know? Yeah. I just love that Junji Ito has already done a book about cats, right, but it's right. about perfectly normal everyday life uh, with a cat. I think that people who are like who who associate Miyazaki with, I guess, like children's uh, stories have have never watched Grave of Fireflies. Yeah, I mean, there are chunks of like Nausicaa of the Wind that are like really scary. Oh yeah, that think, too, especially for a little kid, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that all of all of Miyazaki's work has really dark trauma in it. I mean, like mm-hmm. Spirited Away is pretty scary. Yeah. If you think about it, you know, yeah. like, so I don't know to be, I guess I don't find it as disparate maybe as it sounds. And also I like having my brain broken in that way. So that could just be my like masochism. And also I'm picturing like Hausu, the, movie, oh, the horror movie Hausu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's easy. I've probably done it myself. It's such a quick way to deliver a shorthand expectation, but I am so sick of anything that begins with it's X meets Y. Like, <laughs> no, sure. just the, arrange your sentence some other way. I'm just so. I'm ugh. fascinated by that turnoff, though, because to me, I I really like it when people are able to distill something in that way because I think comparison is one of the like fundamental methods of communication, particularly in the age of memes, um, like the juxtaposition mm. of, of things that are familiar in unfamiliar ways is like a really effective way to communicate. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, CK uh, in the chat said that like, it's a very marketable way to do things too. Right. Yeah, oh, totally. oh, I mean, uh, considering it's in a solicit where they are trying to get you to buy a uh, yeah, Absolutely. Totally. Totally. <laughs> absolutely. I'm just the angry old man shouting at clouds who, when I think it was like, uh, IGN or whatever, or whichever like review website, it was like, we are no longer doing n- numbered reviews. Right. I th- maybe it was like GameStop, GameSpot. GameSpot was like, we're sure. no longer doing numbered reviews. We're just going to write a review and you're just going to have to read all the paragraphs because we're sick of people going, it's not a 7.5. That's clearly an 8.2. What are you doing? But they're right. And I was just the angry old man who was like, make people read everything yeah. and not have this weird tenth of a decimal attempt to approximate your experience with the product. Yeah, because the number means absolutely nothing without the words to put it into context. It's just goofy. Sure. Right. Uh, that's why I'm very excited to announce that IRCB will only be doing number reviews after this episode. Uh, no discussion. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna we're not even gonna do full number. We're gonna do that bullshit where it's like tenth of a decimal. Yeah, it's, so you're like it's technically this is an eight point seven, no, we're go- not a nine point two. We're actually gonna no. go to the thousandth place on our reviews. So like <laughs> I think we should give our reviews in a formula that the listener has to calculate in order to get the number that we mean. 
Oh yeah, we will we will subtly place numbers into our discussion, <laughs> and then based off of the math that you put together, we'll determine what our total score is. Um, <laughs> uh, we're gonna work on this. Don't you worry, folks. Um, let me let me talk really quick though. Um, we got some folks hanging out with us on Discord today. They're wonderful human beings, and they are also reading comics. So this is what's on the top of their pile. Danny is reading Planet of the Apes number one, which is coming out from Marvel, and I didn't realize that this was even a thing. Of course it is. I'm, we don't have to get into it. Uh, CK is reading Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? I'm very excited for you, CK. <sighs> Maybe one of the coolest, most interesting takes on a serial killer story that I've read in a really long time. Um, so yeah, very excited to hear what you think. And Graham is reading Claymore by Norhiro Yagi, which I believe is the Claymore book that is like in Shonen Jump. And I really like that series. I just need to finish it. But uh, yeah, very excited to hear what you all are reading next and ck let me know what you think of did you hear what eddie gein done um but for me this week i'm ex- going to be reading sparks this is spelled sp4rx this is by ren mcdonald it's an indie comic that is all about cyberpunk world where like everything is doomed and blah 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 i saw ren at mocha fest where i was at this weekend and i saw their art and i was floored by it and i said i have to buy everything that this person is offering so i got most of everything didn't have all the money in the world but i got a bunch of stuff including a an akira fanzine that's like this oversized magazine format thing all dedicated to various scenes and moments from the manga and the movie of akira um, which is beautiful i'm very excited to dig through that and then I grabbed this book, Sparks, which is a cyberpunk dystopian future, blah, blah, blah. Looks really cool. The story is like, it seems to be about, you know, hackers trying to basically push back against the man. And I kind of just love that stuff. So I'm um, really excited for this. And sorry if you were at Mocha Fest and we didn't run into each other. I guess we'll have to see you at the next one. But um, yeah, just really, really beautiful stuff. I'll post a link to this book in the show notes as well, um, because man, oh, man, McDonald's oh, this art looks fucking is, awesome. Is, exactly. Oh. McDonald's art is unbelievable and it's this precise kind of like line work that i just can't get enough of there's a couple of other artists that work in this kind of style and i eat it up like it is it is candy it's just it like clicks and reverberates in my brain in a way better than any other art style does um and i i was like buying this stack of comics from this person and i was just like um um i just really really like the way that you draw (laughs) It's basically what I said to them. And, um, you know, fortunately I had a mask on. They'll never recognize me ever in the future. But, um, you know, I love the color palette. I love that. It's just black and white and shades of purple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yes. Yeah. This book looks really cool and I'm very excited to read it. So um, that's on the top of my pile. Uh <laughs> We were trying to figure out what Mocha stood for at one point before I think we started recording today. It stands for Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art for anyone that's interested. But Mocha Fest was this past weekend. And if you went, it's happening right now, actually. But um, I hope if you were able to go, you picked up some really cool indie comics from some super cool folks who were tabling there. Really quick, though, before we wrap up today's show, I want to talk about this guy, Ike Perlmutter, who was laid off at Marvel. Um, Maybe you heard about this. Maybe you didn't. It was all the talk in the IRCB DMs. We were talking about this this dude that got laid off who's basically been like keeping Marvel comics like on the ground for the last 40 years or something. Yeah, he was Disney did a big layoff recently, 7000 jobs, 4% of its global total of people aiming to get like $5.5 billion in cuts, just like every other massive company out there that are doing layoffs. And it sucks. And it's stupid because it actually doesn't help anybody. But we don't have to get into the broader economic problems of Western society. Instead, I want to talk about 
Ike Perlmutter being the person who is the reason why we don't have backlog at Marvel and what the future of Disney and Marvel could be over the next decade. Because from my understanding, as part of this layoffs, Disney and Marvel are like folding in together even further. They're like not getting rid of the brand, but the creators are no longer going to be like managed as Marvel creators. They're going to be managed as Disney creative, which I don't know what to take out of that because from based on what you said, Nick, um, talking about the Star Wars stuff, I'm kind of worried that Marvel may not have the, the freedom that it has anymore, which in my mind is very limited, but it may have less freedom to do edgier, interesting stories with these IPs that are extremely profitable and have to be appealing generally to audiences. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about that, um, given kind of the changes that are happening over in Disney and Marvel. So you're saying it would be folded into a point where, I mean, obviously right now, the Marvel movies rely on basically, and again, I'm so out of touch, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, um, they basically sift through all of the pre-existing comics and, and pick out storylines or plots that they think are worthwhile and then not compensate the creators who uh, did the comics. But basically what you're saying is that this would shift to a point where the comics would sort of start getting created under the purview that they would probably be putting str- like getting injected straight into a pipeline to movie you know therefore I, narrowing the scope maybe of what they maybe yeah i, I don't I know think like, i don't go ahead go ahead i'm sorry i don't think that the comics on their own make enough money to really warrant the effort to creatively like be that um micromanagey about them i guess sure, uh, so sure. like they've got the movies planned out years in advance so they already know which ip they need to kind of keep a tight rein on i'm sure that Mm -hmm. won't change but i think i don't i think overall like i mean yeah i don't i just don't think that it's a big enough piece of the pie for them to be that hands-on with yeah oh yeah it's it's a sliver of a sliver yeah Yeah. I, i guess the the thing that really struck me about like i was reading a new york times article i think a couple of other places reported on this as well like the comics beat cbr and stuff The thing that really struck me was that overall they're saying like Disney confirmed that Perlmutter was told over the phone that Marvel Entertainment in a small division, or excuse me, Marvel Entertainment, a small division centered on consumer products and run separately from Marvel Studios was considered redundant and would be folded into larger Disney business units. Does that mean that they're going to like have like Disney's going to put a stranglehold on these creators and these editors and all this stuff? I don't I don't think so. Um, Hopefully this will mean that people overall will get paid better because they are considered Disney creatives rather than Marvel creatives. Mm -hmm. And also Mm. for like the editorial staff and everything, like I bet they'll just close the New York office, bring everyone out to Disney in L.A. and they'll Mm -hmm. be, you know, maybe paid a little better. There was a, there was, there's, it could still be open. There was an assistant editor role open at Marvel that someone reached out to me and was like, you know, would you, are you interested in this? Like you should apply. And I'm like, they literally are offering $40,000 a year to, and they require you to be in the office. So you would have to live in New York. What kind of candidates do they think they're going to get for that role? Yeah. Like it's it's one. Yeah. Like that salary alone in New York City is insane. Basically, what it means is that you have to have a trust fund or a rich partner. Right. 
Right. I, I was just listening to the declassified episode of uh, Kieran Gillen's podcast. Um, he interviewed and talked to Chip Zdarsky um, about public domain, and they mostly just talked talk shop, which is fantastic. Uh, but the, one of the things that they both talked about is like the absurdity of like the 70s and 80s Marvel, and even in the 70s and 80s of like jokes and bits about Marvel being so frugal or quote unquote frugal minded that like they only had one bathroom for 200 staffers in their offices. And like there were pictures and, and notes written by various editors from like Tom Brevervoort was talking about how like multiple editors would live in bunk beds in like a four or like a two bedroom apartment but it'd be like six or seven of them living there because that's all they could afford and like this is exactly what we're talking about like this extremely low wage for what is potentially a massively profitable thing for a division of a company i hope that this results in i guess what i'm getting at is i hope that this results in these people getting paid and treated better (laughs) overall right i mean they are disney employees and have been disney employees but still the fact that marvel can put out job listings and say hey you've got to work five days a week in the office in new york city one of the most expensive places in the world to live like at a salary of forty thousand dollars a year is crazy to me so my hope is that we're getting the best of both worlds that these people working for these companies will end up getting treated a little bit better and paid a little bit better and they won't necessarily have to feel like they're doing it for the love of the job. They're actual like employees of a corporate entity that like has to do right by their their workers. Otherwise, they'll just leave. Right. I don't know. Hopefully. I know this. Oh, go ahead, Mike. That's all. That's all. Uh, I know this sounds a little crazy, but I know that the, you know, the, the stories of Marvel's demise have been, uh, you know, revisited over and over again. Mm-hmm. But is is it possible that this is maybe reaching a point where the comics division just completely devolved, just dissolves. No, no, Mm-mm. I, I mean, I know we talk about this every couple years, sure. right? Well, I but... mean, 2009, I thought ever, I think everyone thought that Marvel was done, right? Like Disney buys Marvel in 2009 for $4 billion and everyone goes, that's it. They're going to be Disney comics now. And we have mm. not seen a Mickey mouse comic published by Marvel at all i mean outside of their young adult stuff like it's, it's different because i think it's published differently but like a single well, I issue think that's comic. still being licensed out to idw right but right, yeah. right right but uh, that's yeah. what i'm saying like i don't think disney has had that much of an influence on this division it maybe it was because of this guy this ike perlmutter right um somehow being able to like elbow things because he's an old white man and that's what old white men do but like I also think that it's been detrimental to the entire industry because like this is the thing that comic shops complain about all the time, something that Perlmutter didn't believe in, which is keeping a backstock of very popular stories or just a backstock in general of everything. If you talk to any comic shop owner or if you go to any comic shop, they don't they the only time they ever have backstock of really old books is because they overbought 15 years ago. Right. Like you can't get copies of like the uncanny X-Men books that I own that are written by Peter Milligan or the new X-Men books written by Morrison, even with the books like Morrison's new X-Men being super popular. You just can't get them in regular trade form anymore. And I think I've seen it um, posted on some various articles about this thing is that was Perlmutter's thing. He didn't believe they needed to keep back stock for things, Um, which I think is antithetical to the way that comic consumers read comics right when you get into a book you go all right i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna buy all this shit i want to buy all these old books but no comic shop sells those so you just kind of have to be deal with it or you go to a library or you have to buy it for absurd prices on ebay so hopefully this will say like hey maybe marvel can have more merch out there 
I don't it's know. just so weird, like compared to the the novel industry, right? Where when a when a novel takes off and it gets adapted into a show or it gets adapted into a movie, you know, they they push out that brand new edition with the with the brand new cover of the of the show or or mm-hmm. movie, which is terrible, and I hate those, and they can all go to hell. But nonetheless, they're still putting out a product that meets a demand that's there. I realize with comics, it can get a little bit more nuanced or tricky because sometimes you're having to like combine different stories into maybe a new collection or having to dig up something that's maybe a little bit more difficult to find mm-hmm. than you know a, a singular novel, right? It's not, it's not quite. It's a little apples and oranges, but it's still ridiculous that it it happens mm. when when novels and books have sort of mastered this. Yeah. Something I think that kind of ties into this um, that someone mentioned in the live chat, um, Graham, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to call out your comment here. But um, Graham says, I read someone saying it might be the end of continuity. It might mean more standalone stuff. I can't tell uh, if you're saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that would be a great thing, actually. I think that the continuity is part of what yeah. make, like hinders comics and new comic book readers. So if that makes more standalone stuff happen, and they can also rectify this backlist problem that this like cheap-ass bastard was holding back, I think that addressing those two problems could be uh-huh. a really good thing. It's almost like if you invest in the way that people consume comics in order to try to get more people to read it, comics will succeed or something. Hmm. It's an interesting concept. Maybe they'll try it. But yeah, I, I, I like that idea. I mean, I would not be against like spin off. I mean, let me be completely real. Like I hate the current Marvel books that are coming out that are like not in continuity um, that are in the X-Men zone. But that's just because I'm fully bought in on the Krakoa stuff. But imagine if all the Krakoa stuff just like didn't have to tie into the rest of the Marvel universe. That'd be great. Like, what if I could just have a standalone Jane Austen style story about Rogue and Gambit? Right. Well, but but this is the thing. Like, DC, I think, has their cake and eat it, too, on this and, and can eat it, too, at the same time. Like, however that phrase works in my head, I'm stumbling over it <laughs> constantly. I can't even think about what I'm fucking trying to say. Someone's getting cake. Someone's eating it. That's what's happening all, in the end. All yes. I can see is that moment in, in Pride and Prejudice where the guy's flexing his hand. That's important. I can't stop thinking about it. Same. <laughs> Um, no, but DC does this really well, I think, right? They have a bunch of like one-off crazy things that are just happening out of continuity and they sell like fucking hotcakes and they also get all their incontinuity stuff and it works. So like Marvel just, you know, this is the constant problem between Marvel and DC. They refuse to do what the other is doing. They always have to try their own way of doing it. Um, if we can get some non-continuity stuff that are like is is as popular as the incontinuity stuff, the way that DC's doing it, I think... It's a win-win for for readers and for comic book shops and for everybody involved. You know, then you can potentially base a movie off of a one-off little six-issue miniseries. And then that miniseries can get printed to hell so that everybody can get a copy and they can go see the movie. Like, oh my god, this, could you this imagine super would work like scene where Rogue and Gambit are like standing in front of each other and they're having some like tense romantic conversation and they could recreate mm-hmm. the hand flexing scene but it's Rogue and she wants to reach for him and touch his face but she can't so she just flexes mm-hmm. her hand and it's that same shot. A boy can dream okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love this. Well, anyways we don't have to talk about this all day. I think this is I you know Layoffs are terrible, I think, in general, because they affect people that don't need to be affected. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> however, <laughs> I know, Tia, so sorry. Um, however, getting people like this out of the way in order for 
to allow the things that we love to flourish is a good thing. Um, th maybe this guy should have been taken off of his stand beyond beyond layoffs, right? Maybe this was an excuse to just get him out of there. Um, it's just unfortunate that another 6,999 people were affected as well. He also so, is um, like a big political player with the kind of politicians who are like trying to be assholes to Disney in like Florida and stuff. So I think there's a lot at play here. Right, right. Iger, I think of Iger coming back in and just being like, hey, stop letting DeSantis do what he wants to do in Florida. I'm not, I'm not here about that. Um, it's really interesting. But anyway, so let's, but let's, let's wrap up the show before we get into too deep of a political debate that I'm not really ready for um, here on a comic book podcast. Um, uh, and I do want to say thank you both for joining me for this episode. Next week's show is going to be a fun one. We've got a special guest, Kevin Maher is coming on to talk about his book, Toxic Man. We're going to talk comics with him. Um, as well as a bunch of other stuff. He did a bunch of work with some other comic books in terms of like lettering and design. So I'm really excited to pick his brain about that. Um, so you can check out me, Paul, and Danny talking with him next week. Um, you can always follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord. we got our Goodreads group. Our brand new Goodreads theme of the month is black and white comics. Really excited to see what people recommend for this month's theme. So make sure you're on there um, and tell us a book or two that you want to see us all read. As always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music and we love them to death. Xander is waiting for you to drift into sleep before he cleans your bedroom. I want to say thank you to Tia and Nick for being on this episode. Thank you to everybody hanging out with us in the Discord chat today. We love you to death. And if you got this far in the podcast, you're our favorite kind of listener. You're a fantastic human being. So until next time, comics are good and so are you. Are you saying that all the really bad MTV dating shows are on? Well, Par they have Paramount MTV. Plus? Yeah, so they've got they have they have MTV. So yeah. Are you saying that I can that. binge watch next? Oh, 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 oof. I mean, you can. <gasps> I'm not so sure you sh you should. <laughs> Listen, Nick, you don't God. don't talk to I me. Okay? <laughs> I remember next. I remember next. You know, get, it's you know they. They they walk off the bus and they turn straight to the camera and they're like, you know. Oh, there's I'm, one season of it. My name is Camilla. I'm 20 and I have an attitude like no other. And I love shopping or something. Dude, it's know. it's so bad. It was so bad. Um, oh, yeah. I'm I mean, so it was like. Oh. Uh. Oh my god, there's oh, do I am I am I getting Paramount Plus to watch next? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh man, that's so funny. Well, it's like, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I've watched all the episodes of MILF Manor that are out. Uh what is that I'm not on? proud Isn't of that it. Discovery? Isn't that like fucking Discovery? <laughs> uh um, MILF Manor's on TLC. Oh yeah, um, I knew I, I knew it was one of the ones that used to. I knew that the the irony was that it actually used to be a channel that like twenty years ago used to like show you nature documentaries. No, yeah. now I, it's I, all not, ninety I, day fiance and my six hundred pound life and my right, thousand right, right. pound sister and like. I, I'll be completely <laughs> honest. Manor. Me watching Milf Manor is not like a highlight of my life. <laughs> 
it is definitely not a highlight but it's still happening yeah yeah, it's happening if only because like a friend of mine was like my friend she's she's australian so she's like so she came she came the sorry she went skiing with kelly and then they came back um and she's she crashed with us before she went home and uh she was like have you guys heard of this show meal for mana I was like, oh. I was like, it's a very good. I like the accent. Just the way she said, it, I was like, oh my god, Tara! Like that's the funniest shit I've ever heard. She's like, no, it's a real show. So she walked us through it. And I was like, oh boy, I guess we could do this. And what through one way or another, we ended up watching it. Um, and then uh, now Kelly and I watch it every single time a new episode comes out. So like, we can't, we can't stop. It's the perfect amount of like, I can't believe that this is happening and somehow it is not nearly as problematic as I thought it was going to be. Um, it's it's an impressive wow. thing that the show is not just a goddamn mess. And I mean, it's a it's a mess in that it's a reality dating show, but uh, it is not nearly as problematic as I thought it was going to be. So, you know. It's uh, it's something to do <laughs> Bet- between episodes of The Last of Us. Kelly and I were watching Milf Manor. So, like, God imagine damn. that cultural whiplash of like oh <laughs> prestige t- television all the way to like prestige the- television followed by uh, episodes of The Last of Us. Yeah. Followed by Milf Manor. <laughs> um, anyway, so. Oh, brother. Um, <laughs> I'll just say, you guys, it's 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 stupid, but it's a lot of fun. Did you ever watch the show Unreal? Unreal. So it's like no. a it's a fiction show, but it's based on a, a tell all of one of the producers of The Bachelor. <gasps> Ooh! It stars Shiri Appleby as a young reality television producer produced pushed by her unscrupulous boss to swallow her integrity and do anything it takes. Ooh, it's this so sounds crazy. Good. Yeah, it it's very Mike. It's pretty great, but like Nick, also crazy. First off, how dare you? <laughs> Second off, you're yeah, 100% you're, you're 100% correct. right. <laughs> oh, Tia, thank you so much for turning me on. There's you're four welcome. seasons of this? Yeah, there's oh, a lot. <laughs> fuck. My life's over. My life is over. This is this is my next. This is my new Mad Men. Um, oh my god, I'm <laughs> so almost excited. done rewatching Mad this Men. This is my next um, entourage. <laughs> yeah, this is my next entourage. Okay, can we talk about? <laughs> can we talk about Mad Men though? I'm almost done rewatching it, and I have to say, I never realized how much it's actually a love story between Peggy and Pete. Yeah, yeah. Like the entire thing, not just when they have their thing in the beginning, but the whole series. Oh man, yeah. Who's Pete totally. again? Is that is that Vincent Carthage's yeah. character? <laughs> okay. I and say that like line kind of meant- all the time to people, and no one gets it. Of like, how are you? Like, how you doing, Mike? And I'm like, not, not great, great, Bob. Bob. <laughs> no, nobody, dude. I say oh. that so people ask me all the time at work because that's how we start meetings. Because everything that's that's life. And I just go, not great, I Bob. I say that all the time. I, I thought you were gonna quote the uh, I don't think about you at all. Oh, that's also good. <laughs> Both in an ele- in the same elevator. Uh-huh. No, like literally, Pete Campbell is, I think, like made out to be this sort of sniveling. Like he's not even like good enough to be the villain if he, on the surface, but really he saves the agency like a million times. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Don and Don always gets the, uh, or, or yeah, Don always gets the uh, the credit for yeah, it, right? Because yeah. he's the one that ends up coming up with the the big ad thing to save everyone. But yeah, like, yeah no, Pete's Don's the, the worst. One that's, like, yeah. Sorry, yeah. all I ever think about with that show is the tractor accident. It yeah. was a tractor, right? It was a tractor. Yeah. Like that is 
for better or for worse, I'm sorry, Mad Men, but like you did that, and that is intractably the thing I think of. It's just uh, that's it. it there's that is that, what immediately comes to mind. And then there's the one where the account guy gets shot in the face by the client. Um. Oh my. In Detroit, the car client. And then he mm-hmm. has to wear an eye patch for the rest of the show. <laughs> oh my! Th- th- so this is the thing that I like love about "quote unquote" prestige television like this, like particularly Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Mad Men, Sopranos. So like AMC, AMC original programming. Yeah, go on. But I mean, like you can yeah. probably link like one writer to all of these, right? Like Vince Gilligan and what's the other guy who Matthew Weiner, right? Yeah, they do these things in their shows where they're like, we're going to have a problem come out of left field. And that's the center of the episode. And I really left field. And it's like it's always something absurd, like a guy gets fucking run over with a tractor. Like, why? It's an advertising show about alcoholism and and misogyny in the 50s and 60s. What? (laughs) It's so. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I also can't believe how much like I hate Megan and I hate her more every time I watch the show. Every time she's on screen, I have so much secondhand embarrassment. I almost can't stand it. This is this is Don Draper's second. That's wife, like right? wife too. Right? Yeah, wife yeah. too. And yeah, yeah. I sympathize so much with Betty the whole show. I just see like my grandmother in her struggles and how unfair like the whole life is for her, you know, and how like. Mm-hmm. She's so mm-hmm. mean to the children, but it she just desperately wants to be like seen and loved by people. I don't know, like not that it's right. R- right to be mean to your children, but like she just she is so tragic and not in not in like the pathetic way that I think on the surface it looks like. Meanwhile, right. I just like can't stand Megan. She's so embarrassing. <laughs> she she really like I don't know. I, I, I 100% agree with that. Like, I was like, I don't understand. Like, we're so, are we supposed to like her? Like, I feel like I was looking around the room being like, are we supposed to think that she's, like, cool? Like, because, like, just... <laughs> I just imagine you would, like, the, the studio testing room for the show, like, turning around to them producers and being be like... Sexy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Am I supposed to like this? Yeah. Like, the... Oh, dude, I will never forget the, the just nonstop skin-crawling cringe of my body when she's saying that Zoomy oh, Zoomy song. I know, song. I had to yep, fast-forward yep. it. Yeah. It's... <laughs> It's like that episode of The Office where Michael doesn't have the money to, to pay for all those. It's like, I just can't watch it again. I could never watch it again. Um, oh, man. The whole, <laughs> I think for Megan, like when Megan hits the scene, the rest of the show is just embarrassing because the late six, like the hippies are just fucking embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh, man. All right, we, they, they, we we'll do another Madman episode okay. I think, in the future because <laughs> I, uh, I got, Mad Men. I feel like I was like, not, not that I was I was clearly not the only person watching that show, but I watched a lot of that show in isolation because like Kelly didn't want to watch it, which is fine. So it's a long show. Um, but also like I was catching up. So like I was just binging that show. And then like I would just scroll through like Reddit threads and be like, those takes are wrong. These people are stupid. But they're <laughs> posts from like three years ago, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. so, yeah, it oh, makes God. warms my heart to have someone else to maybe talk about Mad Men with. <laughs> ping me on on um, telegram <laughs> but okay uh, 